Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon, everybody. Hang on, you know what? I forgot my light. Look at that, I got ahead of myself. Boy, that's scary when I don't have my light on. Ah. Anyway, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. Uh, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. Uh, we're 45 strong up and down the state of California, meaning if you think you have a paranormal issue, then we can get to you. Okay, because I've got some practically in every county. And if we don't, if not in every county, then, you know, we're two, three counties away and we can get to you. It's not a problem. All we do is free of charge. We're here to educate about the paranormal and all that good stuff. Anyway, I want to welcome you to the show tonight. Uh, if you're watching from YouTube, please press that subscribe button, and that subscribe button is down in the bottom right-hand corner. It's the little ghost with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. We've got like uh, close to 250 videos on there, I think, going back for quite a ways. And uh, if you look at the videos, there's differing topics on there. A lot of different topics. Anyway, our guest tonight is Dr. Janet Lindgren, psychologist, and she's going to be talking about dreams. Anyway, uh, I know I have dreams. You know, everybody has dreams. We may not remember them, but we have them. You know, I had a, you know, and it's funny because I could be watching something on TV and it influences whatever dream I have. And I had a couple of dreams about my mother this past week and it, I know it was related to something I, I, I saw on TV or on TikTok, <laughs> you know, because, you know, down that rabbit hole for TikTok and you're looking at different things on TikTok. And uh, next thing I know, I've got this weird dream about my mother. And uh, yeah, well, we kind of shook me at first. And I thought, well, why am I having this dream suddenly? And then it dawned on me like 20 minutes later that I was dreaming about her because of this thing I saw. Welcome. And adjusting my camera. Take your time. We're good. We're patient here. Everybody's having dinner and stuff, so they're, they're kicked back with their cocktail or whatever or whatever it is they're doing. But anyway, while she gets adjusted, oh, we're back. Well, we're almost back. While she gets adjusted, you know, it's like, it's like I'm old. So these trends, you know, the, these media trends, I used to be, it's, it's funny because you get to a certain age and you're ahead of the pack at some point. And, and when, you know, doing live stuff on Facebook first started, I was ahead of the pack. But now I'm finding myself like trying to catch up with stuff like TikTok. So, so I'm, I'm on a learning curve again, but I'm getting there. I'm good. I like being techie, so I'm getting there. All right, let's get her back in. We're back. There we go. Very yes. Good. Very good. Tell me about you, your background, <laughs> all that good stuff. Oh, well, um, I'm speaking to you from the family room in my home in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've been in Nebraska since 1980. Uh -huh. um, I, I was born and raised in eastern Iowa, went to Iowa State College in Ames, Iowa, where I met my husband in the lobby at the Collegiate Methodist Church. He walked into the room and the song, Some Enchanted Evening, went off in my head. Wow. And uh, not everybody knows the words, but it's some enchanted evening. You will see a stranger 
and somehow you will know you will see him again and again. And I went to bed that night thinking, he's the kind of guy I want to marry. And uh, that was in July 1957, and we were married in June the next year, and um, had a family um, quickly. Diana was born in the end of April that year. Um, Mark was born next, and then Bruce, and then Sharon. And uh, so a big part of my own growth process came out of the opportunity and the challenge of having essentially four babies all at once. Uh -huh. Diana was still three when Sharon was born. And um, I couldn't wait to grow up and have my own babies. And so that was my plan and it worked beautifully. We had four children, which is what we wanted. Uh -huh. um, I was fortunate that I already had a bachelor's degree in home ec and I'd had child develop, development classes. I'd had some journalism classes. I taught home ec for almost a year. Um, but then I found myself very much involved in child development. And when we moved to Idaho after my husband got his doctorate in sociology, um, I pursued a master's degree. And I had hoped for a master's degree in child development, but um, that wasn't available at Idaho State University. So I got a master's in elementary education. So I continued my career as an educator uh -huh. um, and then eventually got into teaching child development for a federal project. And at some point in the process, um, we were um, we were going to Florida for my husband to do a six month sabbatical at Florida State University. And I said, okay, God, what do I do now? And I heard the voice in my head that said, go to Tom Edgar and ask if you can, if he will sponsor you for the doctoral program in guidance and counseling. And um, sure enough, I followed that guidance and uh, Tom Edgar had a vacancy in his sponsorship and took me on. And in 1979, I got my doctorate in guidance and counseling uh, with the intention of probably doing parent education or being working with the school system. But I ended up in private practice. So um, I've had over 40 years as a psychotherapist. I'm no longer licensed because I had a dream um, during my 70th year, my, excuse me, my 80th year, that it was time to stop taking classes. And I needed continuing education to renew my license. And I thought I'm 80 years old. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to do this anymore. So um, I did not renew the license, but I have continued to work with dreams. And, um, and I see a few people as a coach. And I like working with people who I've known over the years who have come back for therapy. 
-hmm. and especially working with uh, people and their dreams. Mm-hmm. Now the whole there's another history that goes along with the dream work. When I was working on my doctorate, there was a fellow there who was a member of the uh, the cadre of those of us working on the doctorate in guidance and counseling. Uh, he was there from Zurich, Switzerland. He'd had four years at the Union Institute in Zurich, Switzerland. Uh He was in Pocatello, Idaho, because of a dream. And I was one of the few people in Pocatello, Idaho, who was seriously interested in dreams, looking at what they might be telling us about ourselves and about the world. And um, I began to meet with Bob French once a week to work on my own dreams. And then I had a dream that he interpreted to mean that I was to go into a training analysis with him, which I did for a period of time. Um, And then I had another dream that indicated to him that I was done with dream work in Jungian psychology. So he wouldn't see me again, but his wife would. (laughs) And she had training at the Jungian Institute. So it continued, and there are stories along the way that go with every step of my life, often including dream images that guide me into the next step. And um, so working with dreams for well over 40 years at this point, going on 45 years, has been one of the most profound experiences of my life. And I have been more disciplined about my work with dreams, the study of dreams, recording dreams than anything else. Discipline is not my strong suit, (laughs) but uh, I've been able to call on that as a resource for my dream work. And, um, And I think I'm in a much better place in my life because I have been um, responding to guidance from dreams all these years. I am absolutely convinced that there is a wisdom at work in us that knows more than what we consciously know. And paying attention to our dreams is a primary source of that information. There are other things like hunches and your gut feeling and just uh-huh. a sense of knowing something that are valuable as well. But I think the clear path is working with dreams. Can I ask you a question about that too, while you were speaking? Um, Some psychics, people that claim to be psychic, Mm -hmm. do get their their, their visions in dreams. Do you think there's a link there or, 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 or do you think it's a purely scientific thing? I don't know that it's very scientific. I I have to be careful how I word that. Sure. Um, I'm sure there's a science behind it, but I think there's so much we don't understand. Okay. And uh, I don't claim to be psychic. Right. But I am an intuitive, and there are some things that I will know um, that I I don't have an explanation for it. 
some things come to me intuitively. I often noticed when working with a client, a question would come from inside of me. I mean, I, this is the left side of my head. It would be out here about four inches from the left side of my head. I would hear a voice. The question might be, ask if this person experienced sexual abuse in childhood. And my response is, he or she hasn't said anything that would lead me uh -huh. to believe that. But when I listen to that voice and ask the question, you know, it opened the floodgates. So something in me knew. Sure. sure. But I didn't know it consciously. And I don't know how that happens, but I wouldn't claim to be a psychic. You sound like somebody I had on my team a while back, Sabrina, um, um, who was a psychic. And she says, you know, I don't know how I get these things. They just come to me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong, but they just come to me. And that was the most honest response next to yours now that I've ever gotten. From, okay. from because usually they're very, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. It's not a problem, blah, blah, blah. That's the attitude they have. Well, not all of them are like that, because I have ones on my team that, that are good too. But to to hear that honest of, of an explanation of, of 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 you know you hearing that voice, that outer that, that little voice, mm -hmm. it's perfect, perfect, perfect. Maybe it's that thing my mom said when I was growing up. You know, what was it on, on, on the left side you have an angel, on the right side, the devil's over there. That's what my mother always told me. <laughs> and they're having this battle in your ears, you know, to, to, to try and keep you on track. Okay. Well, you know, I hadn't heard that before, but. Yeah, that's what my uh, mother used to say. I pay attention when when the message comes from right here. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I pay attention when it's a cognitive process, but I distinguish between the two. Okay. And if I'm trying to work on a problem in my own life or make a decision, say about a trip mm -hmm. or something like that, if I have fears and concerns, I'll ask myself, where is this coming from? If it's coming from out here, I have a different response than if it's coming from here. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Why do we dream? <sighs> Well, the people who research the dreaming phenomenon would say it's necessary for our physical health and our mental health, uh -huh. that um, the brain is processing certain chemicals as you sleep and maybe getting rid of toxins or the debris of the previous day. I think... I mean, I don't question that, uh -huh. um, and I value what they can tell us from their scientific research, but I don't think anybody is ever going to be able to do research on the meaning of the dreams, and I think it's more like an inner um, guidance system that we each come in with that is available to us for the entire lifespan leads us through the different developmental stages and eventually to our death and our transition into the world of spirit. Mm -hmm. And that can't be researched. And I don't think we're going to find um, certain cellular structures in the brain 
or the body that explain that. I think that is part of soul or spirit, whatever terminology you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely, that's absolutely interesting, you know, to, to look at it that way. You know, um, what, 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 what creates bad dreams? Is it triggers during the day? Like I was saying before you came on, I remember I was watching, my mother had Alzheimer's and I was watching some of these videos on TikTok and they were looking for this car that had gone missing with this woman. And it turns out she had Alzheimer's and ended up in this lake. So then I had these dreams about my mother, mm -hmm. you know, right away. And is there a link between, you know, what, what we see during the day to our dreams? Oh, I think there is definitely. If I'm going to be working with someone on, on an interpretation of a dream, I want to know what's going on in their everyday life. Mm -hmm. And it will be reflected in the dreams because in the example you gave, you have this question. And so you're the dream maker at work in you is trying to figure out how to respond to your question. So I think definitely there is a connection, but I also think there's much more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Carl Jung, is the person we give credit to for identifying what he called the collective unconscious. Uh -huh. And the collective unconscious is like the ocean. Uh -huh. Who knows the depths of the ocean? Who knows what's out there? And we're in our little boat or yacht uh, out there on the ocean. You don't really want to be in a rowboat out there on the ocean. Um, hopefully something substantial that will sustain you as you encounter the collective unconscious. And in psychological terminology, we would refer to that as the ego. Uh -huh. You need an ego that is strong enough <clears throat> to um, deal with and tolerate and um, integrate what comes up from, from that ocean represented by the representing the collective unconscious so we can tap into things from the past we have dreams as you know that connect with what's going on today and we have dreams that will tell us about the future i had a recent dream just days ago <laughs> that i find very very reassuring in terms of the future in the dream, I am with my husband, Herb Lindgren, who um, died suddenly almost 24 years ago, uh, but has been a very comforting presence in my dreams. Herb and I are on our way to the symphony uh -huh. in downtown Lincoln. We're going to the concert hall. We get to the concert hall and I thought I had called in a reservation for two tickets and I had not done that. And there wasn't even a single seat left for the Lincoln Symphony performance. And all of this was happening during the 22-23 season of the Lincoln Symphony. So sometime later this fall, although it had more of a feeling of next winter, uh -huh into 2023. And so to dream about something as normal 
as going to the symphony uh, again uh, in 2023 was very reassuring. There is a future. And uh, it will include um, live music. And during the whole COVID shutdown, what I have missed tremendously is the experience of being in a, uh, an auditorium or um, a coffee shop right. for live music. Right. So that was a very reassuring dream mm -hmm. that tells me there's hope for the future. Sure, sure. The one thing I liked about COVID, I'm not saying I liked about COVID, but the people, you know, the, the, the performers and stuff during that shutdown was that they shifted it to free shows. They shifted to be online so people can enjoy the music. Mm -hmm. and I thought that was great. I mean, I, I would attend like four or five a week, you know, just what, listening to the singing stuff. Yes. And you know, they didn't have to do it, but they did. And it was nice, you know, so, a, you know, they got their work in, but still people didn't didn't feel that that, that depressed because they, they could still see them. But I agree with you that there's hope for the future. There's hope that we're all going to be out there, you know, functioning. Yes. Now you had asked about, you know, where did the, the nightmares come from? Yes. Is that your question? I think we're more likely to have nightmares um, when there are problem areas in our life that need attention. Okay. And that's going to be very individual. We also will have the, um, the, the dream that we might call a bad dream or a mm -hmm. scary dream uh, that reflects uh, problems in the larger culture because we are so connected to that. And I, um, I should say that a basic premise of working with dreams is understanding that the images in the dreams are analogies mm -hmm. for life. And so we need to understand the analogies, the mythology, the symbolism, uh, our personal associations are all connected with that. And so um, whatever challenges we have in our life, whatever unresolved issues from the past, the dream maker is going to try to move us in the direction of addressing those problems. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I had a recent dream that felt kind of like a nightmare, but as I describe it, you wouldn't experience it in the same way as I would. But in the dream, I'm in the office working with the client and the doorbell rings and someone else shows up and I have double bit, double booked clients mm -hmm. and wasn't aware of it. And then I think there's a phone call from someone who expects me to be available on the phone at the same time I've got someone in the office and someone from the front door. I woke up in a panic. For me, that was like a nightmare. And I thought, okay, what's going on that I haven't paid attention to? And as it turned out, I had double booked myself twice. Wow. And I had the calendar at the kitchen table. I was back in the office and I thought, as soon as I get to the kitchen table, I'll write that down in the calendar. And I didn't do it. 
So something in me knew that and needed to remind me so that I could avoid the terribly uncomfortable situation of having two people show up at the same time. And I have to admit <laughs> then that I made a mistake or I was negligent. Is it easy? I mean, for a person that writes their dreams down when they wake up in the morning, is it easy for somebody to go back and analyze what's in that dream? Or should they go to someone like you to help? I think once you learn some of the basic approaches to working with dreams, that you can get a lot from your own individual uh, efforts and introspection. But it really helps to have someone work with you on a dream mm -hmm. uh, to get the basic format. Now, uh, I know that you went to my website, um, janlingren.com, and I have a segment in there when I, I give basic principles of Jungian psychology and basic principles of working with the dream. So mm -hmm. anybody could go to that and read through that and have some ideas about how to approach their own dreams. I will also say that for many people, just the act of writing down a dream may trigger an insight. Okay. So that as they're writing or typing it, you know, they're thinking, well, what if, or now I remember, or maybe that's connected with what, you know, whatever comes up for them. And you want to pay attention to those hints. And you're picking up on clues from the dream. Now, I have also discovered that when I start working with someone to interpret a dream, my responsibility is to help them identify the people and places and animals and objects in the dream, you know, what's happening, what do they do about it, is there a resolution? But as I say, well, what do you think of when you think of, say, the intersection of 17th and South Street? in Lincoln, Nebraska, what comes to mind? And the person starts talking about their connection with that symbol from their dream. They're telling me and they're bringing to their own awareness what the dream is really about. Okay. And so talking about the dream and answering the question, what do you think of when you think of that setting that person, that animal, that object. If you're working with it just by yourself, you could be writing that down or maybe uh, recording it somehow and then go back and reflect. So often when people are giving me their associations to the dream images, they're not listening to what they're saying. If I point that out, do you realize what you just said? Mm -hmm. I think you're telling us now what that dream is all about. Okay. And only the dreamer knows if we're on the right track. But when, <clears throat> when you are on the right track in terms of working with the dream, it's what we, they have what we call an aha experience. Okay. It's one of those Oh, Lord, does it have to be that? <laughs> or I, 
<clears throat> no, there isn't a part of me like that person. Why would the dream come to me at this time? Mm -hmm. and, you know, something in you knows. And so it's about uh, digging for gold, <clears throat> working through all kinds of um, debris to try to find the gem. Okay. And you know when you found it. Okay. I want to ask you, what is the difference between someone that has studied Sigmund Freud as opposed to being a, ju a jungleian as you are? A Jungian. Jungian, I'm sorry. Jungleian. <laughs> sorry about that. Well, it would be, it's an easy mistake <laughs> because it's a, a German pronunciation of the name as opposed to an English pronunciation. Um, if I was consistent with my use of the language, I I would be Janet. <laughs> but I am Janet, and I study Jungian psychology. <laughs> um, so, um, well, Freud was the first one to really uh, draw attention to the world of dreams and their possible interpretation. And Freud was also, um, I'm not going to say the first one, but certainly um, a major influence in terms of looking at the, the sexual inhibitions and fears and concerns of the Victorian age. And so what is often characteristic of looking at dreams from a Freudian perspective is everything goes back to the sexual issues okay. that the client has brought to um, the, the session with the therapist. And I can illustrate with an example. If I, if my, if my uncle Harry is in a dream, uh -huh. then, um, and I'm working at it from a Jungian perspective. I question myself, or my dream partner would question me. What do you think of when you think of Uncle Harry? The first thing that came to my mind when we were doing this in, in the three-dimensional world was a Sunday afternoon when I was maybe four years old, and uh, my sisters and my parents and I were at Grandma and Grandpa's house Uncle Harry lived with his parents late into life. And, um, and we were at the back stoop or the back steps as you would go into the porch that was the entry into the kitchen of their house. And he was churning an ice cream maker. So we were there on that Sunday afternoon for homemade ice cream. And I remember being fascinated with uh, the ice cream maker and he's turning the crank and you just have to turn and turn and turn so that the ice will cool the, the milk and egg combination and with sugar in this tall canister. It's also fascinating for me. So the my dream partner says, and what else do you think of when you think of Uncle Harry? Well, Uncle Harry had five nieces. My 
me, my two sisters, and my two cousins. And he just loved us dearly. He never had his own children. Uh, we used to argue about who was going to marry Uncle Harry when we grew up because we all loved Uncle Harry. So my dream partner says, what do you think of when you think of Uncle Harry? And I think of um, him living with my grandfather after grandma died. Uh, he continued to live with my grandfather until my grandfather died mm -hmm. and was married in his 50s after both of his parents had died. So what do you think of when you think of Uncle Harry? Well, I think of being at his wedding with my husband and my four children. Now, so I can go on and on. Uncle Harry never left home. He, um, he became an independent adult, so to speak, after his parents both died. And that was the, the thing that tied in with the dream I was working on was that Uncle Harry never left home. But I didn't know it until I got to that. Right. Now, if I was working from a Freudian perspective, <clears throat> it would go something like this. What do you think of when you think of Uncle Harry? Well, I think of that Sunday afternoon when I was about four, and we get to Grandma and Grandpa's, and Uncle Harry is out there working up on turning the ice cream maker. Mm -hmm. on the front, on the steps mm -hmm. that go into the house. So what do you think of Uncle Harry? Well, no, it'd be, where does that lead you? Instead of, what do you think of when you think of Uncle Harry? Right. The next association is homemade ice cream, we'll say. What do I think of when I think of homemade ice cream? I think of <clears throat> uh, when Herb and I and the, little kids were all living in Ames, Iowa, when he went back, well, he could, so he could go back to graduate school. Mm -hmm. We would often make homemade ice cream and we would invite friends over. So what else do you think of? Well, I think of the Sunday where um, as we're leaving church, Herb says, why don't we make homemade ice cream this afternoon? And I say, okay, we have to stop and buy the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And he started inviting and started to invite people to our house for homemade ice cream. So within a matter of three hours, we had 32 people at our house for homemade ice cream. See, and with my associations, I'm getting further and further away from Uncle Harry. Right. So what does that association bring me to? Well, I'll eventually get to something that is an unresolved issue for me. Maybe it's that Herb would make these plans spur mm -hmm. the moment, and then I have to figure out, okay, I've got a clean house. I've got to get the food. I've got to make the ice cream mix. Do I have all the ingredients? Why do you do this to me? Give me some warning. Or let's plan ahead, you know. So maybe that's what I'd end up dealing with in the session, but it's not connected with my dream, and it's not connected with Uncle Harry. Uh -huh. It's only the dream is an avenue to get to a deeper problem. Okay. So with Jungian psychology, we stick with the image. 
until we get the uh huh. Okay. Which brings me to my next question. If somebody's having a reoccurring dream. Yes. Is that because they, like you say, the dream maker feels that, that, that you haven't come to that, that, that aha moment? It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, the reoccurring dream um, re often is trying to point out a problem the dreamer is unaware of. And that is why you continue to have that dream. And sometimes it could be a menacing reality that you're not dealing with, but not always. Um, a very common reoccurring dream is that um, the dreamer is back in school. They didn't even know they were enrolled in the class, and now it's time to take the test. <laughs> and they wake up in a panic because they're not prepared for the test. And what I've learned over time is that's a very common dream for people when they are facing something new in their life. Okay. And if you think of life as kind of like the experience of going to school and learning lessons, um, there are opportunities for new growth, but you're not always prepared for the next stage or the next development. Mm -hmm. And so the unconscious at working you, the personal unconscious, wants to help you <clears throat> prepare for or adjust to or make the changes that are necessary from time to time. And so... Uh, if I, um, if I have that kind of a dream, <clears throat> I'm enrolled in classes, whether we're talking about high school or college, uh, continuing ed classes, and I, it's time for the test, and I didn't even know that I had signed up, I figured, okay, there's some challenge coming. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite prepared for it, but this dream is giving me the alert. Okay. Um, life is going to throw you another um, <clears throat> surprise. And um, actually, you've been in class all this time, so you can probably handle it. Uh, but it may come as a surprise when it happens. Interesting. And what about falling dreams? I seem to have them when I'm either like driving by the ocean, I'm on this real tall cliff or something, <laughs> and then I go off, and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm always falling towards the ocean. How interesting. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of when you think of the ocean? I don't swim well. That's one thing. I know I don't swim well. I learned to dog paddle. That was the extent of it, swim underwater. Okay. So I do have this fear of deep water. You know, and um, I don't know. It's always, since I was a kid, I've had these dreams where I'm falling into the ocean. And I don't know. Maybe because I'm always taking on stuff that's way, you know, that's that, that's that, that's out of my pay grade. <laughs> that way, you know, because I like a good challenge. So maybe that's what it is. You know, get in that ocean and swim because you're underwater, right? I mean, you know, you're trying to deal with it. <laughs> so what do you think of when you think of the ocean? I used to go fishing all the time when I was young and stuff. I love being by the ocean. In fact, I, I love the whole beach scene and all that. You know, it's always calming for me to hear the waves and everything. Okay, and what else do you think of 
when you think of the ocean? Sinking. <laughs> Sinking down. Because? Because the water's so deep and I can't swim to get back up. Okay. You know? So you're saying a lot about it yourself as you respond to that question. Okay. I'm going to give you an idea, some ideas from universal symbolism. But keep in mind your own associations are the most important here. Um, the ocean can represent the collective unconscious, as I said earlier. The ocean is full of an unknown reality. Um, the depths cannot really be understood. Mm -hmm. Or we can't go to the deepest levels without assistance, without special equipment. Um, you don't want to go play in the ocean by yourself because mm -hmm. an undercurrent might pull you in and pull you down. Okay. So you don't get into the ocean by yourself and you don't play around at the edges if you don't know what you're doing. Okay. And so often interacting with the unconscious is like that. Uh, <clears throat> uh, at the same time, you know, you can look at your dream and say, well, there is a reason to be afraid of heights. There's a reason to stay away from the edge of the cliff. There, there are some very practical aspects connected mm -hmm. with that. And you want to pay attention to the practicality. Don't get too close to the edge. So maybe you are one of those people who is always looking for the cutting edge and wanting to try the new thing, yep. it's still appropriate to be careful because you could get into something. You could get in over your head, for sure. example. Mm -hmm. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And a lot of people would dream about falling um, if they have an elevated sense of their own worth or value or competence. And so um, it's important to pay attention to those kinds of dreams mm -hmm. and, um, and then to discern, is that an inflation dream? If it's an inflation dream, the dream is saying, you think of yourself as superior to other people mm -hmm. as if you can look down on them at the ground level dealing with reality, but you don't have to deal with that reality. You have, you know, superior knowledge or skills or more money or whatever, so that mm -hmm. you don't have to, to live your life at that level. That's a dangerous attitude. You want to be grounded, both feet firmly on the ground, or, uh, or maybe one world, one foot in the world of spiritual, spiritual reality, but the other foot firmly planted on the ground um, because to see yourself floating above others mm -hmm. is um, either dangerous or not realistic. Okay. So the dreams will compensate for an attitude of superiority with mm -hmm. a dream like that. Okay. Very interesting. Oh, it's, it is fascinating. There is no end to uh, 
the remarkable information and that comes to us through the dream images. That's I'll incredible. Never, I'll never learn it all. None of us ever will. It's incredible. But, you know, and then you get dreams like, like you know, like after my mother died, she came to me in dreams. Yeah. I mean, is that because of my need to 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 want to see her again? Or is that because, I know that happens to a lot of people. Or mm -hmm. is that just because maybe she's trying somehow to come through my subconscious to say, hey, I'm cool. It's okay. I I think both are true, Charlotte. Okay. Um, that you need to be reassured. Mm-hmm. And because she, in my estimation, is on the other side, mm -hmm. her soul is eternal. That hasn't changed. She can still come to you through that medium of spirit. Mm -hmm. My husband was not one to take dreams all that seriously. He would say, you have to remember that I am a scientist. Mm -hmm. He respected my appreciation for the whole phenomenon of dreams and dream interpretation. Mm -hmm. And he respected my work in that area, mm -hmm. but you know, it wasn't for him. Uh, he died suddenly, as I said, almost 24 years ago. And then he was a remarkable presence in my dreams. I think he must be surprised <laughs> on the other side. Um, and it was as if he showed up in my dreams as I was going through different stages of the grief process. Mm -hmm. And it was most helpful. I am so appreciative of that. But I also will say, and I should say, I will also say that having done serious work with dreams, for almost 45 years. The, the greatest benefit to me personally, I think, is that people I love who are no longer in the third dimensional world mm -hmm. will come to me in my dreams. And so I, I know the relationship doesn't end with death. Mm -hmm. And I think it is so important for us as individuals to be aware of that, to claim it, to allow that to be part of our reality. Grief is um, it's such a labor mm -hmm. and such a painful phenomenon in life. And if you care about people, you're gonna deal with grief. And the older I am, the longer I live, the more I realize that so much of life is about learning to live with loss. Mm -hmm. I don't get over the loss of my husband or the loss of my son, Bruce, um, which was 11 years ago. Um, I'm not ever gonna get over it, but it serves me well mm -hmm. if I can learn to live with that loss um successfully or um appropriately or you know to you know to serve myself and, and my family i need to learn to live with that loss mm -hmm. because there are others who who are watching how is mom handling this or how is jan handling this and 
as they see how I've dealt with it, they can say, well, then it's okay for, she's okay. So now I can deal with my own grief. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. I remember the day after my mother died and getting up real early in the morning and watching the sunrise. And I thought, you know, she's not here. I can, I can kind of still feel her here, but the sun keeps rising. Yes. Every day. It's always going to rise. You know, the, 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 the wind is going to blow. This is what's going to happen. I have to learn to be in a world without her here, even though she was coming to me in my dreams, you know, and to, I guess to reassure me, like, like you say, you yes. know, that it's okay. And I'll always be here to talk to you and stuff, but you have to come to that realization that, that they're not there for you all the time. They're not there in a three dimensional sense. No. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as you're dealing with grief, it, one of the things that I'm very aware of is how, you know, the sun comes up every day and, you know, two weeks after your loss, everyone else is getting on with their life. Yeah. But your life has changed. Mm -hmm. Your life may have been turned upside down and you're going to wake up to that harsh reality every day of your life and make adjustments accordingly. And it, it seems overwhelming at the time. Yes. And so it is really important for our own benefit to, to be able to shift into a mindset that allows for the relationship to continue in the, through the spiritual dimension. And the dreams are so beneficial in that regard. Well, I remember, you know, I took care of both my mom and dad. And so Good that was... You. That was a good 10, 10 year span, you know, of taking care of people. And I remember I went the, the day after my mother died, cause she died. She was the second one to go. I thought about that lottery commercial and I know it's, I don't know if it's a terrible thing to think about, but the guy that, that wins the millions and goes, to, and goes to the store and, and he looks and he says, Oh, I can buy all this cheese. I, I don't. Yeah. I haven't he, seen that. he says, I, I can buy all this cheese. Right. And he okay. was like relieved that he could buy all this cheese. And it was a weird feeling because on one hand, you're so used to taking care of somebody, but on the other hand, you're free to do what you want. Oh, it's like a double-edged sword. And that's why I felt oh. when I walked out, you know, I, I finally went to the store for the first time without having to worry about the care that somebody watching her or whatever. I thought, yes. I can buy all this cheese, you know, because <laughs> the responsibility is not there anymore. But right. it's a double-edged sword because then, then, then you're horribly lonely and all this is going on because you're so used to living a certain way. Yes, you have to essentially start over mm -hmm. when you lose someone that is so central to your life. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It was a huge adjustment. And Stick I have a confession. Okay. A few people may have have heard me say this, so you're not the first one. But uh, <clears throat> I'm not. No, go ahead. No. <laughs> um we had a very short window where we knew my husband was dying. Mm -hmm. I got to the hospital at 20 minutes after 12 at, in mid, at midnight. Um, and, um, and about eight o'clock the next morning, I knew deep in my soul that he was not coming back. Even though there were medical people telling us there was still that hope. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me, I don't ever have to watch another football game in my life unless I want to. Right. 
and uh, we live in Nebraska and going to the football games at the university was a privilege and her loved it. And I went along for the food. <laughs> and I understood enough of the game that I could follow the game and all of that. But I'm really not a football fan. Uh -huh. Unless somebody I know is on the team. And then I'm interested. Uh, so, I mean, that was, my husband is gone. Uh -huh. and, it, and all of a sudden, he's gone. And I don't ever have to go to another football game. Yeah. And that's, there's always the other side of it. I went through that with Hollywood musicals. I love Hollywood musicals. Love them to death. But I had five solid years <laughs> of watching because that's what would make her happy, you know, that she loved that stuff. Oh. So we watched them together and we would watch you know, The King and I and all these other, other. And now I haven't seen a Hollywood musical in three years. <laughs> that's not surprising, is it? No, no, it's not. Even though I mean it, 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 it wouldn't bother me to see one, but you know that those memories will those memories will come back. You know, it's not like I'm avoiding them. It's just, I just don't have the desire. I'm burnt out on Hollywood musicals. I think. Yes, of course. Yeah. So what about somebody? You know, because um, I know everybody has everybody has similar dreams. I mean, like you know, you have you have your falling dreams. You have the ones where somebody's chasing you. What what are those about? Well, again, you know, we have to go back to the individual dreamer. Mm -hmm. What is the setting? The setting of a dream is really very important. Mm -hmm. And you want to start your interpretation by focusing in on the setting. If okay. you're at the corner of 17th and South Street in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, <clears throat> that is going to have a certain connotation. If you're out in the desert or the wild or in the forest or on a busy city street, you know, it, it sets the stage for the chase. Uh -huh. um, and um, we can we can say some very general things like, uh, is there something you've been avoiding and it is now making demands of you? Uh, is there somebody in your life that you've been avoiding and that person is now making demands of you mm -hmm. or for your own benefit you need to turn around and confront that person or that situation and try to figure it out mm -hmm. um, but there is also um, the possibility that let's say <clears throat> you're a, a woman in a dark alley and you're being pursued by seven men mm -hmm in masks to make it even more scary spooky. yes with clubs or guns or something <laughs> like that Ooh, um, okay. that kind of a dream we'd be looking at the fact that we have seven men and one female right and we need to have a balance in our lives of feminine function because you're given the body of a female and mm -hmm. masculine function, which is the contrasexual side of your psyche back here, back there in the unconscious. And so anytime the balance is off, you could have scary dreams like that. Okay. Uh, 
I remember um, someone's dream where she was um, in a boat with seven men mm -hmm. and things are not going well at all. And we looked at her life and given the body of a female and identifying as a female, she wasn't able to live into what we traditionally consider feminine function. She had to find ways to live into the feminine function instead of being so concerned with the world of work and being the provider and being uh, <clears throat> the protector that there was no room for the softer side of life. So she had to find a balance. And I'm sure I've hit, worked with people uh, where it was just the opposite. Uh, mm -hmm. The those identifying as male are overwhelmed with fem feminine function and they need to find the balance. If you look at the whole phenomenon of a lifetime and the various things that can come up in your dreams over a period of 70, 80, 90 years, it really is uh, an attempt on the part of the inner wisdom or the dream maker to create balance in your life. Balance is a key word in terms of working with our individual psychology. Very interesting. This, this stuff is all interesting to me. Good. I find it all absolutely fascinating. Now, well, should I'm... people make it a habit of, 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 you know, when they first thing they get up in the morning or say they wake up during the night after dreaming to write the stuff, you know, to, to write the dream down? That's a good way to start. Mm -hmm. Keep a notebook by your bed um, or, or a recorder of some sort by your bed so you could uh, speak into a recorder. Most people are not going to get up in the middle of the night and write down a whole dream. But if you can write down a few key words, mm -hmm. your memory will be triggered when you do wake up. So often it's easy to just lose the entire dream. Right. And if I wake up with the awareness of a dream, I have trained myself to rehearse the dream before I get out of bed. Mm -hmm. Because I discovered that if I don't do that, the minute my feet hit the floor, the dream is gone. But if I've rehearsed it before I get out of bed, then I can write it down, maybe right away or within a few days. If I go more than, let's say I carry, I can carry three dreams in my memory and work on them through the day as I'm thinking about my life and have the opportunity for introspection. Mm -hmm. But if I don't write them down, I don't remember more dreams. Okay. So... I need to write them down so more dreams will surface in my memory to help me keep moving forward. Now, the researchers tell us that um, the sleep cycle is roughly 90 minutes. And each one of us goes through a number of sleep cycles every night. And the most vivid dreaming will be toward the end 
of each of those sleep cycles and the oh. minutes of REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, tend to increase the longer you sleep. So maybe at the end of the first cycle, there are two minutes mm -hmm. of REM sleep. You get to the end of the next cycle and maybe it's three minutes of REM sleep. Mm -hmm. You get to the end of say the fourth cycle or the fifth cycle, you're gonna have longer periods of dreaming. Now, I might have five minutes of REM sleep, but maybe I dreamed a book in that five minutes. There's no correlation with time in that regard. Um, <clears throat> so we're most likely to remember the dreams from later in the sleep cycle. But sometimes the best images are coming from the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. I remember waking up sometimes with dreams thinking, oh, I really wasn't supposed to wake up in the middle of this. <laughs> But I did, and the images are startling or amazing or are really beneficial, so I want to remember it. And that's where you really need to write something down so you don't forget it. Um, and then, because this goes on every 90 minutes as we're sleeping, right? if you were to record every dream, you would just be overwhelmed. Okay. You don't need to record every dream. But if you record, say, one dream a week and do some work with that dream, you write it down, you start thinking about what do I think of when I think of that setting, uh -huh. of those people, what could they represent as a part of my own psyche or what's going on in my life, um, that's enough. You don't want to approach this in such a way that you're immediately overwhelmed uh -huh. because you remembered three dream three dreams last night and and you might remember more dreams tonight. Right. Right. But doing good work with a dream or dream uh -huh. images, because some people just they don't get much at all, but they need to start with what they get. Uh -huh. <clears throat> doing good work with that is enough to get the ball rolling. And once you get the ball rolling, you want to record the dreams, do the work, get help from someone who knows more about dream work than you do, uh -huh. um, if possible. And there are lots of ways to learn about working with dreams uh, besides individual counseling. It's something available to all of us. Um, uh -huh. And there will be personal benefits in doing so. Why are there dreams that we don't remember? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I know that I can't process all the dreams that I remember. Right. Okay. okay. So I may write down three dreams and do some serious work with one of them. Sure. And I might do serious work with one or two dreams in a month. Uh-huh. Um, but maybe that's enough. And I've integrated this process in my own life so that uh, dream images will come back to me and I continue to process them over time. Some like the one where I've double booked or triple booked 
Right. You know, I worked on that. I figured it out. I salvaged the situation before it became terribly uncomfortable. And that that was rewarding and meaningful. And mm -hmm. other dreams, I'm going to process the rest of my life mm -hmm. because they're so filled with symbolism and so powerful or profound or archetypal that um, I'll never figure it out. Totally. Absolutely. This hour has gone by so quickly. I have learned so much from you. Good. Oh, my. That was fantastic. Well, I hope your audience has learned some things, too. Ah, real quick question from the chat room. Yes. And Jerry says, uh, what are the ways to learn more about dreams? Well, um, chances are you could get on YouTube and just type in that question and get some answers. Um, there's a, a go to the bookstore and, and the self-help section or the psychology section in the bookstore, whether you're online or in an actual bookstore and look for something on the interpretation of dreams. Um, I prefer to read and work with Jung's concepts for dream analysis uh -huh. and the psychology of the unconscious, but there are other approaches and you can get their reading lists there is um, a, an international association for the study of dreams that is not limited to Jungian psychology, but there is also an international association for working with dreams from a Jungian perspective. So you have to do some searching. You have to be willing to, to do some reading or listening. Um, and... Um, and take advantage of anything you can uh, uncover there that would help you work with that understanding. Um, Robert Johnson was a union analyst who um, I think spent much of his life in California. He's no longer in the three-dimensional world, uh, but he's a good resource for mm -hmm. working with dreams. Mm -hmm. So you could look him up and um, find um, some of his books that will help you work, in, work with the dream. Mm -hmm. uh, I suggest that people read Carl Jung's Memories, Dreams, and Reflections to get an idea of how his uh, memory of and working with his own dreams from early in childhood influenced his life. Uh, Marion Woodman is another person who has done a lot of work with dreams, no longer with us in the three-dimensional world. But she uh, had a background in literature. And so she would find many parallels in literature uh -huh. to uh, the images that would surface in dreams. Now, for each one of us, it's like a story has been created um, and we're looking for what the characters represent and the uh, parallels in everyday life. And there's so many parallels to mythology and fairy tales and literature. And looking at the mythology of today, 
uh, the whole Star Wars phenomenon and um, the Harry Potter phenomenon. Those are all stories that are telling us truths about life and, and individual psychology and how to make it and survive in the world. Uh, the dreams are another dimension like that. But we can use those stories uh, to help us see parallels. So you'll if you start looking, you'll find that there are resources everywhere. Uh -huh. Marie-Louise von Franz was one of my favorite authors uh, because her lectures would be turned into books uh -huh. and she would... Uh, she talked about uh, interpreting fairy tales in the same way you interpret a dream. Huh. So um, she was most helpful for me over the years uh, in learning more and more about the parallels to uh -huh. dream analysis in the world. And it all helps with that understanding. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. How can people find you? Uh, I would suggest they go to my website, which is uh -huh. uh, Jan Lindgren, uh, all one word. Uh -huh. um, at um, just a minute, janlindgren.com. <laughs> janlindgren.com. All right, fair enough. Thank don't you so put, much. Don't put a D in the name. Okay. No D in the name. No D in the name, guys. Yes. All right. I want to thank you for coming on. We hope to get you back on again. Oh, I hope so. I would love it. Okay. We're going to do that. We're going to make a plan on it. Okay. Good. I'll be yes. shooting you an email. Okay. Yes. But you have a great evening. Thank you so much. I learned so much about dreams. Good. And happy dreams or sweet dreams or remarkable dreams. There we go. All right, man. Thank have a good you. evening. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was great. I learned so much, and I hope you did, too. Tomorrow, Nancy Mass is going to be on. Uh, we've talked about this last week, about the past life regressions. You guys are allowed one question. Write the question down, and uh, then she'll figure out how it relates to a past life for you. Okay? One question only. So uh, we're all looking forward to that. That'll be at 630 tomorrow, the usual time. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. We want to get out to as many people as we possibly can. Uh, if you're on YouTube and you were watching the show, please, please subscribe. We're looking for subscribers. That would be wonderful. Just click on that little ghost down there with the magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. And I'd really appreciate it. If you're on TikTok. Come visit us, California Haunts on TikTok. It's not California Haunts Radio, but California Haunts. So check us out over there. Uh, website, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Check us out. No, it's another check us out. Everything seems to be check us out tonight. Check us out at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. All our videos are there. And if you have trouble getting to our YouTube page, that's the way to do it. Just click on the video that's on the front of the website and pop right into YouTube. It'll take you right over to YouTube. You can see all of our videos. If you go into the archives, you'll see all of our videos. If you go into the Blog Talk Radio archives, you'll see some of our, our some of our videos from that. As I'm in the process of transferring a bunch over, we were on Blog Talk for almost 10 years. So there's a lot of stuff over there. 
that I'm trying to transfer over right now. The ticker at the bottom of the page. Uh, help us bring more exciting and informational guests to this show. The reason why is because California Haunts acts as a nonprofit, and we do not take in any money from anybody we don't charge. So what we get are donations to, to keep our cause alive, to go out and help people. So everything you see here, whether it's the mic or it's the computer or it's the lights or cameras, action, whatever we have, plus the equipment for the paranormal team, you know, any lodging we have to do when, when we're out, it all comes out of my pocket. So if you could find it in your heart to help me out, to help pay the internet bill here and all that good stuff to keep the show going, that would be great. That could be at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo, and then just type in California Haunts. But anyway, I want to thank you all for coming, and I hope you enjoyed our guests as much as I did. And I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific for Past Life Readings with Nancy. See ya.